All right. Well, good morning, church family. Are you well? All right. Y'all got to do better than that for the cool weather on an October morning. But I appreciate you being here. I'm so glad that you have chosen to worship with us at Liberty this morning. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 is where we will be today. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope that you do, uh, begin to make your way there to Philippians. And we'll read from it in just a moment. As you're turning that direction, let me just say uh, my name is Brian Alderman. I'm one of the pastors on staff here at Liberty. It's my joy to bring you God's word today. I hope that... uh, you know, God's, we, we read in the Bible that God's, worth is, God's word is truth, and the truth will set you free. So that's what I'm praying for today. I'm praying that as we look at God's word, we will hear truth, and it will set us free this morning. Uh, Pastor Tim is enjoying uh, some ministry up in the great state of Alaska, uh, and so be praying for him and for some of the other folks from our Shelby Baptist Association as they continue to, uh, to minister to pastors up there in that great state that is very far away from here. He'll return this week, and we'll look forward to hearing from him. But again, my joy today is to bring you uh, the word this morning. We're in a series walking through the book of Philippians. I don't know if you realize this, but it's already been eight weeks that we have been studying Philippians, which makes today the official halfway point. So we've got eight more weeks to go in this wonderful book. Uh, But man, it has been a joy studying through this book with you. I hope that you have um, fallen in love more with God's word while we've walked through the book of Philippians. I hope that it has encouraged you. Hope that it's uh, reminded you to rejoice. And if not, don't worry, we'll talk more about that today. So you will have further opportunities to hear it. Last week, pastors Tim and Kyle talked to us about two worthy gospel servants, Timothy, and uh, here's a great baby name for 2023, by the way, Epaphroditus. So if you're looking for a name for your child, Epaphroditus, you can put that on the, uh, on the board and the nurse will be like, well, how do you spell it? Um, Talked about two worthy gospel servants. If you missed that message, let me just encourage you, man, go back, catch up on it or any of the other messages in Philippians. You can look at all of those on the website or on our church app and you can catch up and and see what God has been teaching us through his word. Uh, Today, we transitioned from that passage of um, looking at uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, these two worthy gospel servants, to an encouragement, a warning, and then a look at the life of the Apostle Paul. And so as we get ready to study it, let me ask you a question to start us off. What is your obsession? What is your obsession? And you may look back and be like, well, Pastor Brian, I don't really think I'm obsessed with anything. All right, so then what are you passionate about? What is the thing that matters most to you in this life? What is it that wakes you up in the morning that drives you? What do you love to do? Is it hunting? Is it fishing? Is it just being outside in the great outdoors for a hike or whatever it is? Is it um, Instagram reels? Uh, Is it social media? Do you love to uh, see what your friends are up to and follow along? Do you love people? You love hanging out, going to uh, the movies? I don't really know if anybody does that anymore. I feel like COVID kind of shut that down and ruined that whole thing. But what is it that you love? More than that, what are you passionate about? What are you obsessed with? When I was a kid, uh, I grew up to the tune of uh, wonderful, cheesy, Jesus-filled, sweet-spirited, early 2000s and late 1990s Christian music. 
It was a joy. Uh, my ears were constantly filled with the sounds of Amy Grant and Sonic Flood and, uh, you know, FFH and um, the real newsboys and uh, the real audio adrenaline, not the fraudulent versions that exist of those groups today, the real ones. Uh, those were the sounds that constantly occupied the speakers of the Alderman family's 1998 GMC Safari. As we drove along the roads, there were two artists in particular that really, you know, came through the speakers probably the most. And, uh, and those were uh, DC Talk. Anybody remember DC Talk? Yeah, okay. Uh, that's because my brother was a little edgier in his preference for Jesus music. And so he listened to DC Talk and liked them. Uh, and then for me personally, uh, Stephen Curtis Chapman was the artist who, uh, who I loved as a boy, man. He was my hero uh, and just put out all this wonderful uh, Jesus-centered music. I loved, wasn't quite obsessed with, but, you know, loved the music of Stephen Curtis Chapman. And Stephen Curtis Chapman released a song way back in the day called Magnificent Obsession. Magnificent Obsession. Uh, and I want to share the words um, to this song, just a, just a brief part of it for you uh, before we dive into our text this morning. But, but I mean, let me, let me just say, I got to paint this picture for you because you, you got to come with me here. Like when I say I love Stephen Curtis Chapman, man, uh, my, one of my friends in second grade actually had a karaoke themed birthday party. And so we all showed up and everybody's, you know, singing and we're having a great time. It's a great second grader's birthday party. Uh, when the time came for me to put a song into the karaoke machine and sing along, guess what I sang? I sang some Stephen Curtis Chapman, popped my blue Live It Out CD right on in there, put it in. Track number uh, one was the song Live It Out. And so right there in the living room, second grade birthday party in front of all my friends, I jammed out to Live It Out by Stephen Curtis Chapman. In a way, it was my very first worship leading experience. Uh, and I've had some since then that probably didn't even go quite as well as that one did. But nevertheless, uh, man, I just loved to listen to and, uh, and sing this guy's music. This song, Magnificent Obsession. Let me share with you the, the words from uh, just right around the course. Here's what, here's what Stephen Curtis wrote. He said, all this pursuing leaves me feeling like I'm chasing down the wind, but now it's brought me back to you, to Jesus, and I can see again, this is everything that I want. This is everything I need. I want this to be my one consuming passion. Everything that my heart desires, Lord, I want it all to be for you, Jesus. Be my magnificent obsession. My friends, as we look in Philippians chapter 3 this morning, I want you to know that the Apostle Paul had a magnificent obsession. And in writing this letter to the church at Philippi, he was encouraging them, hey, I want you to have this magnificent obsession. And God, as he was inspiring the Apostle Paul to write this letter, and now it's been preserved for us so that we can read it, study it, preach it, hear it today. God wants you to have that magnificent obsession. And so we dive in, but let me say this, for Paul, it was all about the good news of Jesus Christ. That was it. 
That was the the picture that painted the direction of Paul's life was the gospel. And so for you and me, here's how I'm going to say it. The gospel should totally renovate our lives. It should renew our thinking, reorder our priorities, remake our understanding of the world, and reshape our desires to become more like Jesus in every way. Let me say it a little bit more plainly for us this morning. My friend... If you are not yet ready to sacrifice everything that you have and everything that you love in order to gain the Jesus of the gospel, then you have not yet found the true Jesus of the gospel. If you're not ready to give everything, to sacrifice it all, to give it up in order to to know and surrender to this good news of Jesus, then my friend, you have not yet found the true Jesus. And I want to encourage you to see him today. So if you've got Philippians chapter 3 opened in your Bible, then as a way of honoring God's word and of aligning our heart posture and our body posture, would you stand up all across the room or certainly anybody that's joining us online as well? Welcome to you, by the way. We're super glad that you have joined us. Uh, All around the room, let's stand up and honor God's word as we listen to it. Philippians 3 verses 1 through 11, I'll read and you follow along. Paul says, finally, or in addition, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. To write to you again about this is no trouble for me, and it's a safeguard for you. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for, that's not the, never mind, football reference. Watch out for the dogs. Watch out for the evil workers. Watch out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision, those who worship by the Spirit of God, who boast in Jesus Christ and who do not put confidence in the flesh. Although I have reasons for confidence in the flesh, Paul says, he says, if anyone else thinks that he has grounds for confidence in the flesh, listen, I have more. And then he goes on to kind of list his brag sheet of of what he's got. I was circumcised on the eighth day. Uh, I'm of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews. Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, I persecuted the church. Regarding the, the righteousness that is found in the law, I was blameless. Verse seven, he transitions and he says, but everything that was gained to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Because of him, because of him, I have suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as dung or rubbish so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that is based on faith. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you for the challenge that it brings us, Lord, for the conviction that it draws our hearts to. I pray that this morning you would move me out of the way and speak by your spirit through your word to your people this morning, Lord, so that we would hear exactly what it is you want us to hear. We pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. Have a seat. 
In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples and some others that are around, and he offers two parables, Matthew chapter 13, verses 44 through 45. And I, and I wanted to share these parables with you because I think that they're especially pertinent to what we're talking about today in Philippians chapter 3. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure. It's buried in a field that a man found, and then he reburied it. Then, in his joy, he goes and he sells everything that he has, and he buys that field. Again, he says in verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. See, this is the response that Jesus demands as he presents the good news, the gospel, the message of the kingdom of heaven. This is um, the example that the Apostle Paul shared with us in this passage. The question to you and I today is what would you give in order to gain the treasure of the kingdom of heaven? What would you give? What would you sacrifice? What would you turn over in order to gain Jesus, the treasure of heaven? This is our passage today. It's super powerful, so let's break it down. If you've got sermon notes and you're following along with me there, point number one on your notes is the repeated instruction to rejoice. Uh, chapter three, right at the beginning, verse one. Paul opens with this, uh, this word, finally, or as to the rest, or in conclusion, which is hilarious, and it's how you know he's a preacher, because we're only halfway through the letter, and he says to wrap things up, and then proceeds to write the other half of the book of Philippians. Uh, you know that we function in much the same way, but I'll try not to tease you with in conclusions today. Um, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is Paul reminding the Philippians of a subject that has really pervaded this letter. I mean, eight times already in just two chapters, eight times, including this one, Paul has encouraged the Philippians around this theme this topic of joy. And one more time, he's going to tell them, rejoice in the Lord. Now, he doesn't say, you've probably heard this before, he doesn't say rejoice in your circumstances. He doesn't say rejoice in your possessions. Rejoice in the things that you've got going for you. Rejoice in the fact that right now in this moment, life feels pretty good. No, he says rejoice in the Lord because See, the life of Paul was filled with suffering and with hardship and uh, with rejection. And so Paul knew that things don't have to be all good in order for him to rejoice in the Lord. And brothers and sisters, you and I need to hear that this morning. Because you may be walking through a hard moment in your life. You may be walking through what we call a dark night of the soul. You may be going through things that I cannot imagine, that I can't sympathize with, worse that are, than, than anything that I or someone around you has been through. You may be in the midst of it, but friend, if you're a believer, if you have surrendered your life to King Jesus, then deep down in your heart, there is joy in the Lord that is ready to spill up out of your heart and into your life. And that's what Paul wants you to know. 
Just to know, it's not about your circumstances. It's not about what's going on in life. It's about the fact that deep down within you, Jesus has made his home in your heart, has changed the course of your life, has reshaped your eternity, and and you can rejoice in that. You can celebrate what you have in Jesus. He says this is a repetitive instruction. It's, it's been repeated throughout the letter, like I said. Now, this is no trouble for him, he says, uh, because there's, like, there's room on the scroll and he's got ink in his pen. So he does not mind writing again and again to the Philippians, telling them to rejoice. You and I know, man, how easy is it to forget uh, and to, you know, to wander away from joy and to settle for discontentment? And to settle for complaining. Because Paul knows how easy that is, he says, it's no trouble for me to remind you over and over again to rejoice. And it's a safeguard for you. To remind you to rejoice is a safeguard for you. How can that be? Is it, is it friends, is it dangerous for a believer in Jesus to not have joy? Well, actually, the answer is Yes. Because here's the thing, a lack, a persistent lack of joy in your life will open you up to all sorts of temptations from the enemy. Number one, it'll rob you of your witness. You know, if things aren't any better for you on the inside than they are for the unbeliever who's next to you, then why should the unbeliever be interested in what you have? It robs you of your witness. But number two, it also, in a sense, friends, it it tells a lie. Your lack of joy shares with those that are around you that it's not all good when in fact, man, if Jesus is your king, it is all good. Now again, the circumstances of your life may not feel like it's all good. You may be going through difficult things, but that's the reminder of Paul is that, hey, it's not about circumstances. It's a safeguard to remind you that no matter what is going on, you have Jesus inside and you can rejoice. It's dangerous for you and I to not rejoice. The longer you go without expressing joy in your life, friend, you can grow in bitterness and believe the lies of the enemy all too easy in that position. So Paul reminds us, rejoice. Now listen, it may not look like, you know, lifting your hands and spinning around or saying, oh happy, singing, oh happy day at the top of your lungs every time you walk into this place. It might look like stubbornly refusing to skip worship from week to week. It may look like stubborn resolve to be in here and to lift your voice and raise your song because you know that Jesus is worthy of praise even when it doesn't feel like it. It may look like stubbornly resolving to go be a part of your life group even though you know people are going to ask you that question, how are you, and you don't want to answer it. It certainly looks like stubbornly resolving to continue to do your daily disciplines, spending time in the word of God, spending time in prayer, even when you don't feel like it, even when you're getting nothing from it. That's what it looks like to rejoice in the Lord is to do those things and say, God, I don't care what's going on in my life. You're worthy of my praise. And so I'll continue to do what you've called me to do. Now, second, Paul offers a recalculation of God's people. The recalculation of God's people in verses two and three. Now, this point's a little bit more difficult, so just hang with me as best as you can while while I try and walk this out with with clarity. 
Um, he opens verse two with uh, three times. He says the words, watch out for blank, watch out for blank. And then uh, he, he you know, specifies that with his group that he's calling out. Watch out for uh, the dogs. Watch out for uh, the mutilators. Uh, watch out for all these people. Paul wants you and I to know that there are some folks like Timothy and Epaphroditus that we should receive with honor. There are other folks that we should watch out for. Now, uh, you need to understand uh, who we're talking about here. Like when Paul says, watch out for the dogs, they didn't think of dogs like we do, right? These are not like your fluffy and adorable golden doodles or your house trained mutts that we have and that we love and you know, we post pictures of throughout our house. Dogs back in ancient times were like nasty, dirty, scavenger, you know, kind of thieve, uh, thieve you know, what do you say, thieverous? I don't, I don't know. They were thieves. Uh, they stole things. And so dogs were nasty. We would, we would probably do better to think of this as like rats, right? So man, who is Paul talking about that? So quick, he can go from saying, you know, receive these guys with the honor of the gospel, but watch out for these rat, evil working mutilators. And how'd you like to be lumped into that group? Uh, later, later on, we get a clue of who Paul is talking about here. We believe that it's a group called the Judaizers. Now, you can kind of hear like Jew or Jew, uh, Jewish Judea in there, right? This is not necessarily like all Jewish people. That's not what Paul's saying. What he is saying is a certain group of people uh, who, it was like their ministry strategy was to watch where Paul would plant a church with the gospel and then to go there after he had left and say, hey, listen, everything that Paul said is really good. Like, we like that Jesus guy. He's great. Uh, man, he did some really wonderful things. He had some really wonderful teachings. But if, if you're going to be really one of God's people, then you can't just believe in Jesus. You've got to add some things to that. See, you've got to be like all the Jewish people of old. You've got to get circumcised uh, if you're a man. You've got to, um, you know, you've got to memorize Torah. You've got to follow the dietary restrictions. You've got to follow the cleanliness regulations. This is the group of Judaizers that would follow Paul around. And every time he planted a church, they would say, Jesus is great. You just need to add these few things as well. Well, friends, Paul won't have that. And you and I can't have that either. Listen, it is by grace through faith that we are saved, not of the works that we do. Faith in Jesus plus anything destroys the gospel. To Paul, that is a huge deal. It's like committing treason against King Jesus. It's, it's malforming or reshaping or coming up with your own gospel that's not the real gospel as of all. That's why he's willing to, to, to bring down such a harsh condemnation on these rat evil working mutilators. Don't mess with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because only one message is worthy of our surrendering our lives. And it is not the message that the Judaizers were bringing. Now that phrase mutilators is actually what clues us into who Paul is talking about here. And um, just real quick, it's PG-13 warning. So put on your maturity cap and let's roll through this together, okay? The word for circumcision, when Paul says in verse three, we are the circumcision, meaning we are God's people now. Uh, the word for circumcision is peritome. Peritome. 
Okay, peritome. And peritome kind of came two words together uh, from like cutting around in a circle. Okay, cutting around in a circle. Uh, now, exclusively by this point in history, and when Paul's writing the Philippians, uh, it, had co- it had come to mean uh, the Jewish ritual act of circumcision, which was the removal of the foreskin from the male anatomy. All right. Now that I have your attention back, uh, the next word that Paul uses is not peritome. When he calls them mutilators, it's katatome, katatome. So you hear the same ending of that word, but the difference is peritome is like a circle uh, cut around. Uh, Katatome is like to just slash and hack into pieces. So these people aren't just doing the Jewish ritual act of circumcision. They're slashing and hacking. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But that's how we know that Paul is talking about these folks. And again, I remind you, he's so serious about it because Paul is obsessed with maintaining the purity of the good news of Jesus Christ. We can't lose this battle because following the Jewish law is not how you determine God's people anymore. Instead, here's how you know. You want to know who is it that God has chosen in the world? Who is it that God loves? Who are the children of God? Well, Paul gives us three ways to to, to figure it out and know who they are. He says, um, instead, the people who are God's worship by the Spirit, they boast in Jesus Christ, and they put no confidence in the flesh. They worship by the Spirit, they boast in Jesus Christ, And they put no confidence in the flesh. Now, in the flesh, again, having to do with like the things that you do in order to maintain your standing with God. As believers, friends, we don't put any confidence in those things. They may be good things to do, but we don't put our hope in them. Our hope is in Jesus alone. Now, Paul hits kind of a speed bump here in walking his fellow believers through this passage uh, because, you know, well, let me, let me say it this way. Um, have you ever put together a resume like to get a job or something like that? You've done it. It's like, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna call this the anti-Christian exercise of putting together a resume. Now, I don't mean to say that like you're sinful when you put together a resume, but again, as Christians, we're supposed to place no confidence in the flesh. And basically what you're doing when you put together a resume is saying, hey, here's all the reasons that I'm really good and why you should hire me. Right, so it's kind of against how we're supposed to function as um, as, as Christians. Now, uh, Paul, uh, well, typically the the kind of people who don't like resumes are the kind of people who have nothing good to put on a resume. You know what I mean? Like, ah, resumes are stupid. You don't need those. Yeah, but you don't have a college degree. You've not held a job for more than six months, and so I understand why you would say that. Uh, Paul is not that person. In fact, Paul has a lot of reasons to want to present his resume before God. And those are the reasons that he's going to present in just a minute. Paul's saying, hey, if anybody has a reason to be confident in the flesh, it's me. It's not these Jewish people who are coming and telling you, you need to add things to your salvation. I'm the one who's got good reason for confidence in the flesh. And so again, if you've got sermon notes number three, he lists the reasons for confidence in the flesh. Friends, you won't find a better resume than Paul's. You won't. 
This is what he says throughout our passage, beginning in verse five. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day. That's exactly how the law prescribes it. I'm of the nation of Israel, which means by birth, I'm one of God's chosen people. But more than that, I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. Now out of the 12 tribes of Israel, only two tribes ever sent a king to the throne. One was Judah, that's like King David and all the ones that followed him. The other was the tribe of Benjamin. They sent Israel's first king, King Saul. By the way, Paul's Hebrew name, Saul. So his namesake, they sent that king to the throne. So I'm not just of the nation of Israel. I'm from one of the best tribes of Israel. I'm a Hebrew born of Hebrews, which means there's not like mixed lineage going on in Paul's line, either from his mother or from his father. It's pure. He is a Hebrew of Hebrews. Regarding the law, Paul's a Pharisee. You don't get any stricter and more scrupulous in how you follow the law than by being a Pharisee. Regarding zeal, man, here's how passionate Paul was. He persecuted the church. He thought that they were out of line according to God's word, and so he ran them down. Regarding the righteousness that's found in the law, Paul says he was blameless. This doesn't mean that the apostle believed he was sinless or that he had reached perfection. It just means that, you know, he followed the law down to every jot and tittle, which means when he did sin, he offered exactly the right sacrifice for that sin. And he participated in the temple system and in worship exactly as he was supposed to do. See, Paul is an all-star of the Jewish faith. I mean, he really is. And so in a moment when he's about to tell us that he's not going to place his confidence in all of those, you know, reasons that he has according to his flesh, you need to hear this as like, man, this is the, this is the star athlete who gives up their career in sports in order to go to the mission field. This is the hotshot attorney who, rather than pursuing her name on the door, says, I'd rather stay home and raise my kids to love and follow Jesus. This is the student who rather than spending every night practicing their sport or studying for their tests, says, no, I want to be a leader in my student ministry. I mean, you're giving up a ton of potential, Paul. And he would say, yeah, I could have run with this resume, but instead I'm going to give it up and I'm going to refuse to make a big deal out of it. Why? Because of number four, the renewed understanding of what really matters. Man, Friends, if we as a church got this, then I just believe that we could change the world. I really do. And so I'm gonna, as best as I can, I wanna press this into you. Basically what Paul does in verses seven and eight is three times he expresses kind of the same thing. And it comes across real clearly in that first phrase. He says, listen, everything that was gained to me, I've considered a loss because of Christ. Everything that was gained to me, I've considered it a loss because of Jesus Christ. All those things that padded my resume, from my circumcision to my ancestry, to the work that I did as a Pharisee, to the passion that I had as a church persecutor, all of that thing, I, I thought that it was setting me forward in my walk with God. I realized that it was actually a loss. It had set me back because it made me think that I had something to offer God and I didn't. I've considered all those things a loss instead because of, uh, because of Christ. In verse eight, he says, more than that, I also consider everything to be a loss. So it's not just the, the things on his resume that Paul had stacked up that he thought would get him there. 
It's all the stuff that he's done since then too. I mean, the missionary journeys and the church plants and the baptisms and the salvations, all these things that Paul has seen God do through him, he considers all of that a loss. Friends, don't get stuck though, believing that the Apostle Paul is a two-dimensional character on the pages of your Bible. This was a real person. He had friends. He had a family, a mom and a dad. Some siblings, probably. I mean, he had accolades, whatever the first century equivalent of trophies were. He had all of that. He had a career path and ambition. He had financial prosperity and success. He had all of those things. And yet he says, I consider all of that to be a loss. Why? Well, because of the surpassing value of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord. If I give up all of that from family to career, from ambition to success, from resume to whatever else in between. If I give up all of that and I get Jesus, it's a worthy trade. Friends, I want you and I to get that so bad today. I want us to be the kind of people who can look around at all the things we have and say, man, forget my financial security, forget my house, forget my car, forget my family, forget my friends, forget all of that. I would give it all up because I want to know Jesus. There's only one who's worthy. None of these things are but Jesus is. He goes one step further. You know, they say the proof is in the pudding, right? Well, the proof for the Apostle Paul was indeed in his life. Because as he says in verse 8, because of him, because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all of those things. Because of Jesus, I have suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as dung, is how my Bible puts it. Yours may say rubbish or something like it. And to be quite honest, while I think it's a decent translation, it doesn't hit hard enough. The word that Paul uses here, if it was not a uh, first century Greek expletive, then it was certainly a replacement for one. One of the commentators that I read while I was working through this passage used crap when he translated it. And I think that's like, that's about as close as we can get. Because of Jesus, I've suffered the loss of all things and I consider them as crap so that I can gain Christ. This was the magnificent obsession of the Apostle Paul. He wanted one thing out of this life, one thing, and that was to know Jesus. Number five on your notes is the resolve to know Jesus and reach the resurrection. Now, next week, we're going to kind of back up and hit verses 10 through 11 today. So, um, man, I, I cannot, in fact, in a whole sermon, I couldn't do verses 10 and 11 justice, but I certainly won't be able to do them justice this morning. But here's what you and I need to see. We need to see that Paul had gained a new ambition and it was twofold. Number one, he wanted to gain Christ. And number two, he wanted to be found in him. Remember, we talked about, you know, recalculating who God's people were. Basically what Paul is saying here is, hey, my ambition is that when, when that roll call is made and God's people are listed off, I want to be one of the ones that Jesus knows. 
I want to be one of the ones that Jesus says, yes, that one's mine. I gave my life for that one. And my friend, today, I want to challenge you to see, believe, know, and commit to the fact that there is no higher ambition in this life than knowing Jesus. There's not. You won't find one. No matter what you're chasing after today, my friend, I promise you, if it's not Jesus, it will let you down. He won't. And there's a number of reasons for this, but can I just share one with you? Probably the most important reason is that one day your life's going to end. And all that stuff that you and I work for, it's not going to come with you. You're not going to go to stand before Jesus and look behind you and say, well, yeah, but look at my family or look at my finances. They won't be there. You're going to go and stand before Jesus. And he's going to say, well, you know, hey, what what'd you, what'd you bring? What do you have? You know, the Bible says that all of us are going to appear before his judgment seat to be judged according to the works that we did in the flesh. So what'd you do, Brian? What'd you bring? And friends, The only thing that I can say to him, the only thing that I think and hope that you'll say to him is, Jesus, I don't have anything. I don't have anything to offer you. None of the works that I did, none of the sermons that I preached, none of the prayers that I made are worth you saving me. But, but Jesus, I believed and I trusted that when you died on that cross a couple thousand years ago and you pushed up on your nail-pierced feet and you said, it is finished, that counted for me. I believed in that, Lord Jesus, and I surrendered my life to you. I gave you everything that I had from my family to my friends and all the stuff in between. I gave it to you. I surrendered it to you because I believed that you are worthy. And I didn't do that as a, as a work that I brought out of myself. I did that because your spirit got inside me and you saved me. And Jesus, from that moment on, I tried and failed and tried and failed and tried and failed again to live as if the highest ambition of my life was to gain you. It's all I have, Lord. Friends, this ambition of yours, again, must be guided by this understanding. You can't get there on your own. Again, it's by grace that you are saved through faith. Now, Paul's not saying that all the churches he planted and the people that were saved because of his ministry are bad things. They're not. He's just saying that those are not worthy things to get him the standing that he wants in front of Jesus. He's saying that ultimately, at the end of the day, the only ambition that's worth pursuing is knowing Jesus. And because of that relationship we have with him, reaching the resurrection. So, the question's to us this morning. What is your magnificent obsession? What's your passion? What is the ambition of your life? What are you chasing after? Is it Jesus? Is it knowing him? Is it being filled with his power? Is it being conformed to his sufferings, the likeness of his death, in order that you can reach the resurrection one day? Is your ambition 
hearing those words spoken over your life, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. And so now I'll put you in charge of many things. Friends, if that is not your ambition, if that is not your passion, if that's not your obsession, then hear me say with absolute clarity to you this morning, you're aiming too low and you need to aim higher. Pursue something that is worthy of every breath you breathe. In your life groups today, I hope that you're in one. Uh, we're going to identify some ways that you can live this out. And they're on sermon notes if you've got them with you. And, um, and I'll highlight them just real quickly for you. I want you to, to identify an area of your life that you've boasted in or that you've placed confidence in. Even if you've only done so privately within your own heart, you think, man, I'm a little better because I've done this thing. Why well, I want you to spend some time repenting and tell Jesus that, that what is that in comparison with what you've done for me? Boast in Jesus and that's it. Number two, I do want you to think through what you would have a hard time considering dung or rubbish or crap in order to gain Christ. Present those things to Jesus and ask for his help to consider him as totally worthy. Friends, make Jesus your magnificent obsession. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. First of all, for your word, Lord, and for the truth that your word contains, which really does have the power to set us free. This morning, Lord, I pray that that's exactly what it would do. I pray that it would set us free from chasing lesser things and that instead we would chase you and you alone. It would be the highest ambition of our life to lay everything else down and sacrifice it just to say, Jesus, I only want you. You're the centerpiece, Lord. You are worthy of it all. You created us. You died for us. You've saved us. So now, Lord, be glorified in our lives, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.